Hi and welcome to the Psyche Podcast where we discuss all things mindset, mental well-being and living your best life. I'm your host Hannah and I'm a mindset and mental well-being coach and founder of Psyche Coaching. Welcome and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone and welcome back. Happy Monday if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out and we are officially moving to twice a week. Eek. <laughs> so uh, no pressure for me uh, keeping up with the editing and all of that for the show but we have had so many amazing interviews and conversations that I've had with guests that really I just want to get them out to you um, quickly rather than sitting on them for absolutely ages so yeah we are we're making that switch to twice weekly um, so yeah feel free to send me some comments let me know what you think of that and also possibly we we kind of vary the episode length. Some of them are longer, some of them are shorter. Again, uh, any thoughts, <laughs> let me know. But we'll probably uh, try and keep them uh, on the shorter side, so kind of under an hour just for ease of listening. Um, but, you know, if we get into really juicy stuff, then we tend to just talk and talk. <laughs> and I try and try and keep to a sensible amount of time but sometimes you're just in such a really amazing conversation that you don't want it to end uh so yeah that that so yeah we're here we are on a on a Monday with this episode uh I just want to think back to last week's episode thank you to Debbie who joined me as I said we recorded it pre pre everything <laughs> we locked down uh, so the world was in a, a different place then, but it was lovely to listen back to and to really reflect on friendship. And uh, yeah, Thursday was International Friendship Day. So um, I hope you reached out to your friends and expressed love and gratitude and tried out the friendship game. But it doesn't have to be a named day for something for you to reach out. So if you haven't, I would encourage you to do so To It's just such an amazing thing just to say to someone something positive about them, something you love about them for no reason other than you love them and you just want them to know. It has a massive impact on, your, on you, on the chemicals in your brain, so it gives you a boost. But also for that person, it can be a massive boost. And, and I know sometimes... I've had um, a friend, and actually Debbie does this a fair amount, <laughs> who will just reach out and send um, a message saying, I'm thinking of you, or or something really positive. And it just, when it's out of the blue like that, it just gives you this massive boost and makes you feel loved. It gives you that sense of belonging and acceptance and, and all of that stuff, which is really great for well-being. And you also feel good if you are the one doing it, if you're the one giving that positivity to someone else so something I try and do not always sometimes if I'm having a low mood day I just want to have a little pity party which is fine I think sometimes that's what you need you need to sort of sit in that feeling for a little bit uh, rather than beating yourself up about the fact that you need to pick yourself up and get on with stuff sometimes just need to sit with it for a bit um sit with that feeling and then you know the next day get up and take responsibility and kind of get on with it but Sometimes if I'm if I'm feeling in that mood, I will send a message like this to someone, a, a message full of love and positivity. And I end up feeling better as well. So it has that kind of knock on. So yeah, I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. And 
uh, as I said, loved, loved chatting to Debs. And I, I guess the Awareness Day thingy, not that I don't think International Friendship Day is necessarily Awareness Day as just a kind of celebration day. But we tend to have these days throughout the year in the calendar that are awareness days for specific causes. And I have kind of a love-hate relationship with them because I think it is really important to bring attention to things, to have conversations, to raise awareness. But it takes more than a day. It's something that should be ongoing, something if you care about whatever it is, whatever the cause is, whatever the condition is, that you are continuing to think about it and talk about it all year round. So on the show, we do tend to link in with these awareness days. So for example, Bipolar Awareness Day, we had a special episode for that. Uh, During PTSD Awareness Month, we had a couple of episodes around that. So I think, you know, the reason that we do that is, is the day when people who don't normally have the conversation are having the conversation or being open to it. And so I think it's it would be remiss to not make the most of those opportunities. But, you know, one of the things we're about here is having these conversations year round because mental health, mental well-being is a year round thing. You know, it's something that we should be talking about. We should be having these conversations about and kind of normalising that sometimes you just don't feel good. Sometimes you're not in a good place. Sometimes things are going on, um, that are more like the the mental illness end of the spectrum, if you like. Sometimes we're just not feeling, just not feeling it. We're just not feeling great. And we need to be supported. We need to kind of look after our well-being. And I think we need to be open to having the conversations rather than sort of shying away, away from it because it can be difficult. And it is difficult sometimes. And uh, one of the things I reflected on this week just gone. Uh, if you haven't signed up to our newsletter, uh, you should. We just once a month we have this well-being roundup, and one of the things in that is I sort of reflect on something from the month. And the one this month was this idea of people saying, "Just, just do this, just do that." And I realise I say the word "just" <laughs> quite a lot, but particularly in the kind of "just ask for help." And I know something that we do talk about a lot is asking for help and reaching out for support because it is so beneficial to have that support if you are struggling. But something I always try and reiterate and and I'm going to reiterate now is that that can be really tough, you know, to say just ask for help sort of minimizes how difficult that can be because there's so much tied up with this reaching out being vulnerable and letting someone in in that way there can be so much shame or guilt or worry about that and and sometimes we can get stuck in a familiar place and it could be a negative place but it's familiar and that fear of the unknown of, of the change can put us off reaching out so there's so much going on so many reasons to say just do this uh yeah I think kind of yeah minimizes how difficult it is so if you're listening and you're struggling I always would encourage you to reach out if you're able to whether that's to family or friends or someone like the Samaritans or an equivalent wherever you're based of a line which is confidential non-judgmental because sometimes that anonymity can make it easier 
to talk about what's going on uh, or journaling or something to sort of try and process the thoughts and let them out. Um, but if you are not in a place that you feel able to reach out for support, then that is okay as well. You know, it's okay to not be okay sometimes. And I think we can put so much pressure on ourselves um, and I'm very guilty of this as well. But one of the things that I like to say and that I remind myself of often is that whatever you're feeling is what you're feeling and it's okay. Uh, if it's good, if it's bad, if it's whatever uh, label you're attaching to it, that is what you're feeling. And we can be so quick to want to feel better or to want to get to the next thing. And again, <laughs> I'm very much like that. But we really need to meet ourselves where we are and, and start from where we're actually at in the moment. And I guess this is a bit of a segue into what this episode's about, not intentionally, but here we are, which is all about kind of being in the present and thinking about the mind and letting go of expectations and all of that kind of stuff, which are things that I definitely try and live in my own life to uh, varying degrees of success <laughs> at different times. Um, so we're joined by David for this week's episode, and it's slightly different because we are a we are a non-denominational uh, secular podcast. So people will come on and they will talk about their faith and their beliefs and their philosophy and that kind of thing and the impact it has. But we don't tend to specifically focus on any one sort of faith or religious background. And this is slightly different in some ways because David is a Buddhist teacher. And so actually he's talking about Buddhism generally, um, but also about meditation. And so meditation and mindfulness are big things in, in the sort of well-being space um, because they can have a, a massive impact on how we feel and on, and on the mind. Uh, so David does mention this uh, in the episode, but I'm just going to kind of put it in as a disclaimer at the beginning as well that um you know buddhism isn't a religion in the in the way that other religions are and it's it doesn't have a god there is it's non-theistic so there isn't a deity so if you are religious if you have your own faith background the teachings of buddhism can sit alongside that but as with anything on the show you know we're not prescriptive we're not a one-size-fits-all uh, it's all about having conversations and giving suggestions and ideas that you can try or you can reject that you know you can just explore um so I guess if this is something that doesn't appeal to you in any way or if I would just yeah I just I guess would say have an open mind and listen to it and and there might be elements that you can try out and you can explore for yourself um and there might not be for me personally um Buddhism is to me it makes sense it's, it's the the way I would identify myself if anything so I guess that's kind of why we're, we're sort of going into it more than we have uh, with other kind of spiritual beliefs although we are occasionally diving into spiritual well-being because that is part of the human experience that kind of spiritual realm um, but there is a lot around the meditation and thoughts and um, not being too attached to outcomes and expectations and being non-judgmental and all that kind of stuff that actually I think comes up in a lot of faith backgrounds, particularly this idea of um, love and trying to 
be non-judgmental to other people and kind of live a good life, that kind of stuff. Um, but from a psychological perspective, Buddhism has always appealed to me because I think there is a lot that feels similar to some psychological perspectives. And there's a whole area of Buddhist psychology and possibly other faith psychologies that I've not delved into. But anyway, it's <laughs> a big build up to say it's a, a slightly different episode today, but I really enjoyed having the conversation with David and I hope that you enjoy it, that you find it interesting and, um, you know, if it's something that you feel you want to explore or try out, uh, whether it is really exploring a Buddhist teaching or whether it is just to think about meditation, just again, <laughs> I said at the beginning, but it might just be that meditation is something that you've heard about, the benefits for mental health, for focus, for well-being and want to give a try. So I hope you really enjoy it. And thanks again to David for joining me for this episode. And I will be back super quickly at the end. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And I'm really, really happy and excited to welcome this week's guest, David, to the podcast. So David, welcome. And if you could introduce yourselves to us. Sure. My name is David Roylands. I was born in Washington, D.C. and now reside in Chiang Mai, Thailand with my wife and my son. And I teach Buddhist teachings to help people train the mind to eliminate discontent feelings like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, boredom, loneliness, shyness, things like this. Amazing. I'm sure there's definitely a lot of those that lots of people are feeling uh, a whole mix of at the moment. I wonder if we can go back to um, yeah, how you got to be where you are now and teaching people um, about Buddhism, was it something that you were you were raised as as a Buddhist, or was it something that you discovered sort of th- through your life? When I grew up, my family never impressed upon any teachings that I should or shouldn't follow. They just kind of let me do my own thing. So early in life, I explored a lot of different backgrounds. I was in and out of every kind of church you could imagine in America with my friends in different places. I even spent time with people from uh, Muslim teachings and Jewish teachings and other backgrounds and never really found a real depth of understanding. And maybe I just didn't understand how to pursue the teachings. I definitely found some comfort in the teachings of Christian uh, background, Jesus Christ teaching. There was definitely some interesting things there, but I didn't really understand what the goal was or what we were really aspiring to do. I didn't understand the practice aspect of the teachings. I just thought it was about memorizing scriptures and things like this. And as I was growing up, I always kind of had this interest in a better life. And I always felt like my life was kind of uh, a little bit disappointing for, you know, lack of a better word. I was, I was pretty much a juvenile delinquent growing up. I was into all kinds of bad stuff and, you know, not really having much direction in life and parental guidance and things like this. And for one reason or another, I just started spending a lot of time around Asian people. And I noticed that they had things that I didn't have. They had real closeness in their families. They had politeness and kindness. They had respect for each other. They really treated each other really well. And this isn't something that I was brought up with. I was brought up with hostility and anger and aggression and these kinds of things. So I was spending time with Filipino people, Indonesian, uh, 
Vietnamese, Chinese, all different types of background, Koreans. And people told me that someday I would really love Thailand if I ever found you know, Thailand. And at that time, I didn't even know what Thailand was. I thought they were mispronouncing Taiwan. And at one point, I did meet a Thai person. And I'll say, like, oh, it's a real place because this is a Thai person. And I convinced her to bring me back to Thailand or bring me to Thailand. We were in America. And when I went to Thailand the first time in December 2002, I was really blown away with this family values and the respect and appreciation and kindness and politeness. And on that trip, I found traditional Thai massage. I got exposure to it. And at that time, I was in business and computers. And I decided I was going to bring Thai massage back to America. And that's what I did. So in Washington, D.C., I started opening up Thai massage centers for people to receive Thai massage. And shortly thereafter, people started asking me to teach it as well. And in teaching Thai massage, I decided I wasn't interested in just teaching the technique of Thai massage, that I understood having saw Thai massage in Thailand, that it was part of this cultural fabric that was inseparable. So in our classes, people would sign up for Thai massage, but they would end up learning about Thai culture, which is based on Buddhist teachings. So people were learning all these great life lessons to apply to their massage practice, but also their daily life as well. And I ended up publishing a book, or actually two books, and ended up becoming very, very successful in that. But ultimately, I always knew the goal was to move to Thailand. So my Thai wife and I and our son in 2015 moved to Thailand for the first time. And we had been coming here quite often, quite a lot. So it was kind of finally a relief to kind of come here and stay and not have to actually go back. And, you know, when you expatriate from your country and you live in a place like Thailand, it kind of feels like I'm on holiday every single day and I've just never gone back to, to, to America. And now I live in this community of people in Thailand that are deeply practicing these Buddhist teachings. So you get a lot of peacefulness, a lot of um, kindness, a lot of generosity, a lot of care, a lot of uh, just really good, wholesome people that aren't judging you and trying to put you down. Everybody's very encouraging and supportive. And I think they are, um, they're all you know, brilliant values that you've just listed there that are, that are great ones to try and um, embody and and to live your life in that way. And uh, for anyone who's listening who doesn't really know that much about Buddhism and, and Buddhist teaching, would you be able to give a sort of brief, I know we could probably talk for a very long time um, about Buddhism, but a kind of brief overview of, um, of what it's about? Sure. There's essentially three main branches of Buddhist teachings, and then there's lots of smaller sects as well. But the three primary branches, the first one is Theravada Buddhism, which means teachings of the elders. This is the tradition of Buddhist teachings that is considered to be the closest to the teachings that the Buddha actually taught during his lifetime. And this group of practitioners and teachers aren't interested in changing the teachings. They're interested in practicing what the Buddha actually taught. And then later, all the other traditions and branches start to change and modify the different teachings. In the Buddhist teachings during his lifetime, his teachings aren't based on belief. 
They're not based on believing him about anything. It's based on the universal truths or the natural laws of existence. And through learning these natural laws, you can learn them. But then when you practice the teachings, you can see that they actually work and you gain wisdom around the teachings. And by learning this wisdom and seeing it independently for yourself, then you can see the teachings are actually working. And what you do is you're actually training the mind. So some people call it like Buddhist psychology, or they call it a philosophy or a better way of life, not a religion. Because a religion is kind of like an organized faith-based practice, a central organization, kind of disseminating information with rites and rituals and obligations for people to practice. But the Buddhist teachings, they don't actually reside in any central organization. There's no central organization responsible for collecting the teachings. But instead, what you have is a vast plethora of teachers and practitioners who are sharing the teachings and by you learning them with a teacher who really deeply understands them, you should be able to independently see the truth in the teachings for yourself because they're not based on belief. And the training that you're doing with the mind is you're training the mind towards this enlightened mental state. Essentially what you're doing is you're training the mind to eliminate discontent feelings. You're working to eliminate sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy. And through learning the teachings and applying them in your daily life, you can see that the condition of your mind is gradually improving. So you can actually see the results for yourself right now. That's the difference between learning the truth and acquiring wisdom and seeing the results because you can see the results now rather than learning something that you just need to believe and then you don't know if it's true or not until you die. And at that point, it's almost kind of like too late, right? So the beauty in the Buddhist teachings is that you can see the truth right now that the condition of the mind is gradually improving to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, where your mind is permanently peaceful, permanently calm, permanently serene, permanently content and joyful, meaning you never experience any anger or frustration, all those discontent feelings that I mentioned. The mind never experiences those anymore once you attain this enlightened mental state. But you can see how your mind is gradually progressing to that all the way through so you have dedication and commitment to actually learning and practicing the teachings and that's one of the things that that in particular you know appeals to me and there's something i have your your book developing a life practice literally right next to me <laughs> a bit underlined about that idea of it's not based on belief and that you see the truth for yourself and as someone i'm quite a logical scientific person so that's something that you know appeals to me that being able to test it and and, and see it and, and feel uh, the impact. And I think for anyone who's listening, um, and, and I know we'll talk later about your Facebook group and, and some of the resources that you have if people want to find out more about Buddhist teaching. Um, but you know, for people listening who may be listening to that idea of the mind being completely free of all these uh, kind of negative um, emotions, that maybe sounds too good to be true. <laughs> so I wonder if we could talk a little bit about 
what that process looks like, what that daily life practice would look like to move towards there. Yeah, and that's the beauty that um, even though I'm presenting this and sharing this with you and your listeners, they can see the truth for themselves right from the beginning when you first start learning with a teacher. If you are studying with a teacher that really understands enlightenment, you should be able to see in your first couple of minutes with that person how they're able to help you see the truth for yourself that's not based on belief. So the Buddha provided various discourses or various teachings. And through learning these teachings, you can learn them. But then what you do is you take that knowledge that he shared and then you investigate it and you apply it yourself in practice to see the truth for yourself. And daily what we do is we meditate. There's essentially two meditations that the Buddha taught, even though there's hundreds and thousands of meditations that are taught today, these are all modifications that people came up with. But in this tradition that I share, we're only interested in what the Buddha actually taught because he was the Buddha. So we practice these two types of meditation and what they're doing is they're training the mind to eliminate what we call craving or desire or attachment. And then the other one is meant to cultivate loving kindness. So the meditation is part of your daily practice, but then you go out in daily life and you actually practice the teachings which are laid out in what's called the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path lays out this path to enlightenment of things that you would do in daily life in order to train the mind in order to practice these teachings. Things like practicing harmlessness, not harming other beings, practicing non-ill will, non-aggression, non-hatred, practicing things like right speech, where we speak at the right time, what we say is true, what we say is spoken gently, when we speak, we speak beneficially or with purpose. We speak with a mind of loving kindness or active goodwill for other beings. We speak in a way that is blameless. So essentially our speech isn't harming others through our speech. And then we practice things like what's called right action, where we're not causing harm through our bodily action. We practice right livelihood, where we're not causing harm through the way that we sustain our life, through our livelihood. And then there's other aspects that go into mental discipline and training the mind, but there's these eight steps that essentially we just need to learn and implement as a life practice. And it's all based around not causing harm to other beings, because if we cause harm to others, that harm will come back to us. This is the natural law of gamma or karma. And just like the natural law of gravity, we all need to awaken to this natural law of gamma. So when we were children, we didn't understand this natural law of gravity. We just knew we kept falling down or our toys kept breaking or you know we just kept tripping and falling and we couldn't walk up steps. And eventually we got the wisdom to understand this natural law of gravity and now we can move around the earth very peacefully and very easily. Well, this natural law of gamma is very similar to the natural law of gravity in that people are unaware of it. People don't have the wisdom to understand what this natural law is. 
it's not this mystical, magical punishment and rewards and all of this kind of stuff. It's essentially good, wholesome decisions that we make produce good, wholesome results. And when we make unwholesome decisions, we get unwholesome results. So if I was speaking rude or impolite or disrespectful, you wouldn't want to talk to me. You wouldn't invite me to on your show. You know, I would have problems in the community with people around me. But through the Buddhist teachings, we learn about this natural law of gamma and how to ensure that our moral conduct and our mental discipline is in such a way that we're not causing harm to others. And by awakening to the wisdom of this natural law, then you will be able to more peacefully coexist with other people in the world, just like you're more able to peacefully exist with the natural law of gravity, you're able to peacefully coexist with others through learning about and practicing the natural law of gamma. And I definitely try and, uh, and follow this in my own life. And actually it was quite interesting this, uh, this past week, I had a couple of interviews about volunteering in a sort of counseling type role and trying to articulate in an interview situation that actually the way I try and live my life is being non-judgmental and right speech, right, you know, it's quite difficult sometimes <laughs> to articulate, but I was, you know, I was trying to think about, well, mm-hmm. where does that come from? And I think a lot is from the the practice and, and the teachings and that it does change kind of who you are or how you show up in the world, I think, and in a, a better way, more peaceful way, I think. Yeah, when you get this wisdom of the Buddhist teachings, and the reason why it's wisdom is because you independently verify it yourself. You're not just believing his teachings, you're understanding them and then applying them so you see the wisdom and you know it's the truth. And by doing that, it changes the mind, how the mind actually functions in the world, because you no longer see it beneficial to be hostile or angry or frustrated, because you know that it just leads to your own discontent mind and it causes problems in the world because you see it for yourself. And through learning this wisdom, it changes the mind and then you start functioning in the world very differently and your life and your mind gradually improve with more and more peacefulness around you and around your daily life. And things just go so much better and so much smoother for you in your personal and professional life. Mm. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, <laughs> my professional life will go smoothly. I think the the loving kindness as well. I think that changes the way you see other people when you have uh, that practice. And uh, yeah, um, so I wonder if we could dive into meditation in a little bit more depth. If anyone's listening and thinking, well, I've heard about meditation, I can't meditate because that's something that people will say a lot. Um, and how people can add it in. Uh, to their own practice and for anyone who has a a different faith background so for example someone's a Christian whether it's something that they can incorporate alongside their existing kind of faith structure. Sure that's a great place to start because most people don't realize that Jesus Christ actually talked about meditation in the Bible there's at least 20 different references in the Bible to meditation and things like loving kindness and generosity and compassion and, you know, love thy neighbor and all of these teachings that Jesus and the Buddha were teaching were so very similar. 
they would be best friends if they lived during the same time. And the beauty about Gautama Buddha's teachings that are approachable by Christians is that the Buddha never said he was a god. He never said he was a messiah. He never said he was a lord or anything like this. He never asked to be worshipped or anything like that. So a Christian can actually practice Gautama Buddha's teachings. And what they'll probably find is they'll understand Jesus' teachings even more deeply because Jesus was only really teaching for a few years before they killed him. And the people that were left behind were kind of like only partially aware of his teachings and wrote down kind of what they remembered, where Gautama Buddha had 45 years to teach and made sure that a lot of people understood his teachings before he actually died and that there was a lot of enlightened people around before he died. So Jesus just died and was killed essentially before he really had time to share everything that it was that he probably was interested to share. You know, for those people that are Christians and have a belief in God, do we really think that all of God's wisdom is in just one little book, right? God, if people believe in God, have has a lot more wisdom than just that. And Gautama Buddha's teachings are in 45 different volumes of books that are very, very thick. And the meditation that people can do, that it comes from the Buddhist tradition, can really improve their life. And what the two goals of the two primary types of meditation that the Buddha taught is one is to eliminate what we call craving or desire or attachment where the mind latches on and holds on. It has kind of a longing with a strong eagerness. We have this objects of our affection. And if we don't get those things, then we cause the mind to be discontent. So if we want a new car, the mind just kind of wraps around that and pursues it and pursues it and pursues it. And if we don't get it in a timely fashion, the mind becomes sad or angry or frustrated. Or even if we get it and then, you know, somebody dings the paint or does something to it, then we get so frustrated and angry and we start blaming other people for damaging our car. And we think that they're the ones who are actually making us angry. But in reality, we're actually making ourselves angry because we are latching on. We have this longing and strong eagerness for the car to be permanent. We want the car to look permanently pristine. And when we see that little scratch or we see somebody dinged it or whatever, or a rock hit the windshield, we get really frustrated and angry in the unenlightened state. So this first style of meditation, breathing mindfulness meditation, it trains the mind to let go of thoughts and ideas and perceptions. It let go of the past, let go of the future, and really root the mind in the present moment so the mind doesn't hold on so tightly. And what this does is by eliminating this craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness, what you notice is instead of being angry, it goes to frustration, to irritation, to annoyance, to a, a kind of a dislike. And over time, as you train your mind, you completely eliminate those feelings entirely. You no longer get angry. You no longer have frustration because you've eliminated this longing with a strong eagerness. And now the mind can just reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So this is the primary style of meditation that the Buddha taught, which is breathing mindfulness meditation. And that will help to eliminate this 
aggression, this hostility, this um, frustration that we have. And then the other form of meditation that he taught is what we call loving kindness meditation, where the first style, breathing mindfulness meditation, we're training the mind through an active, dedicated, purposeful training session to eliminate the unwholesome root of craving or desire or attachment. Through loving kindness meditation, we're actually cultivating in the mind this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, starting with yourself and then cultivating that for other people as well. So that then when you cultivate this in meditation, when you progress through your daily life and you interact with people, you now will practice, you have, will have a tendency to practice loving kindness or active goodwill towards all beings in your daily life. And by practicing this way with others, because of the natural law of gamma, by you treating people with love and care and generosity and compassion and kindness, that's what will come back to you. The reason why we have hostility in our life is because we're hostile to other people or we're aggressive with other people. So that's what comes back to us. So all the Buddhist teachings are all about training your mind to improve the life practice or the condition of your mind. And by developing a life practice, you now clean up your own mind. And now through practicing these teachings in a good, wholesome way, lots of good, wholesome things will happen for you now in this life. And you can see the results of that in this life. You don't have to wait until death. You can actually see the condition of the mind improve. And Christians can do this as well because, you know, Jesus Christ talked about meditation as part of his teachings as well. Mm. Amazing. And I wonder if you could give us a little uh, insight maybe into your daily practice, your, um, yeah, how, how this sort of looks for you. And for someone who's just starting out, maybe it will look quite different to, to your practice. But yeah, just a, a bit of insight would be nice. Yeah, so everybody's practice is different. You know, this is the universal truth of impermanence that every, mm -hmm. there's no constant, steady, fixed state. You know, it's not about everybody doing things exactly the same. But there are certain aspects of the path that we all know we need to do, like breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation. So I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is I meditate and I do breathing mindfulness meditation. And then I go throughout my day, I do my teaching, I teach online, I have a podcast, do videos, have a Facebook group, I teach in person, have online classes, things like this. I am a father, husband, have a, a job that I do a little bit of work on the side, you know, just kind of a few hours a week. And then sometime in the evening before going to bed, I will typically meditate before going to sleep as well. And oftentimes if I'm teaching or just depending on what's going on, I might be meditating in the middle of the day too. But usually the best way to start off is just to kind of start off with once a day and build up that practice. And then as you feel the results of that and you see things improving, move to like twice a day. And that's really kind of like what someone would typically do is kind of morning and evening do meditation. If they have more time, they can meditate in the middle of the day too. And they'll notice the truth for themselves is that through meditating, the mind will improve. 
this is why it's not based on belief that you can see the effects of the meditation yourself. I no longer actually do loving kindness meditation for myself. I teach it and I do it with students, but I've eliminated hatred and anger and ill will and frustration and irritation and all those things have been eliminated from the mind. So I don't need to do loving kindness meditation anymore. But at one time, I used to do a lot of that because I did have a lot of anger and aggression in the mind. But through that practice, I no longer need to do loving kindness meditation. But in your daily life, you're practicing the teachings. You're evolving the mind and, and observing your own thoughts, your speech, your actions, observing how you interact with people. It's really kind of like the best self-help program that ever would exist because it's your independent practice that you're improving your own life practice, but you need a teacher, you need a guide, you need somebody to help you understand the teachings, but you're responsible for doing the work to do things like practice loving kindness, practice compassion, practice what we call sympathetic joy or non-jealousy, practice equanimity, you know, practice eliminating the ego, practice speaking politely and kind to people, all of these things. And there's no one around judging you, whether you're doing it well or you're not. It's your own individual practice. But having a teacher is paramount. You have to have a teacher. You wouldn't be able to just read a book and become enlightened. You would need guidance from a teacher who understands the path to enlightenment so that you can be guided along that path and learn the teachings. Only a Buddha would be able to awaken the mind to enlightenment without the help of any teachers. That's one of the criteria of what a Buddha is, is that they actually become enlightened on their own without the help of anyone else. Then they share their teachings and other people become enlightened as well during their lifetime and after their death. And because we can tell when the mind is improving the condition, if you have anger and frustration, you're going to observe for yourself as the mind's improving. So that's how people knew that their mind was improving through the teachings that the Buddha shared. They could see, wow, this guy, his teachings are really working. And he figured this out by himself. No one taught him this. He discovered it on his own. He's a Buddha. That's how they knew that he was a Buddha. Thank you for that. And I guess that shows you mentioned the impermanence that loving kindness was something you practiced and now don't need to on a, a daily basis. Um, and so you're saying for someone starting out sort of once a day is, is quite a good amount of time or um, regularity to aim for. Is there a sort of minimum amount of time to get the benefits from meditating or is it just kind of what works for you? It's what works for each person. You know, it's not uncommon for people to just start out with five or 10 minutes a day for a little while. But then what's going to happen is they're going to naturally see the benefits. And it's kind of like a snowball. You on your own will start expanding that wider and wider. And I never really give a time of how long someone should meditate because I've meditated for one or two minutes before. Before, and my sons walked in and asked me to go play with them. And I was like, okay, I'll go. But I got benefit out of that one or two minutes. And I've meditated for a half hour, 45 minutes or an hour and gotten benefit with that as well. So the benefits of meditation, they accumulate. 
they're accumulative. So it's kind of like a bucket. You have like a, if you're not meditating now, you kind of have like an empty bucket. And as you meditate, each time you're scooping water into this bucket because the mind is thirsty. It's very thirsty. It needs this water. Well, if you went to a trough of water and you could only scoop a half a scoop of water or you could take three big scoops, of course, you would like to take the three big scoops. But if all you have time for is just a little tiny, you know, half a scoop of water, yeah, you're still going to get benefits. The, the bucket's still going to get full. So it's not about each individual session has to be a certain period of time. It's more about developing a life practice where over a consistent, dedicated period of time, you're gradually progressing and you're adding water to your bucket more and more and more. Hmm. And I guess you also said about when you go about your daily life, sort of um, taking these things into it. And, and, you know, I think when you sometimes read about meditation uh, from people who are just, they're not really doing Buddhist meditation, they're just doing uh, a form of meditation um, for mental health or um, for well-being. And they'll sit for 10 minutes or however, and then they'll go back into their life and nothing will have changed and they'll still be really stressed and they'll still be really angry and they still won't be being present. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that, that you highlighted and it's maybe worth reminding people that yes, having that meditation practice is a really important part of it, but it's also like you were saying, all of those values and that way you live your life, they're important too. The Buddhist path has eight steps on it. Meditation is one of those steps. So meditating for five minutes or five hours and then going outside and expecting everything to have changed is kind of equivalent to praying and then expecting to go outside and everything's going to be perfect for you. What meditation is, is it's one step on the path, but we need to take the benefits of that meditation and then practice in daily life. That's our life practice that's the eightfold path where you can't just meditate your way to enlightenment and that's all you do is meditate you actually have to bring the teachings you have to bring the path into your daily life and this is one of the beauties about Gautama Buddha's teachings is they're so simple so clear so precise that's what makes them so profound because they're so easy to learn that you can implement them in your daily life because you can carry them around in the mind. So if somebody only meditates and if they're only meditating with like an, a phone app or a guided meditation, somebody speaking to them all the time, they're not really meditating the way that the Buddha taught. And that's the beauty of having a teacher like me to provide guidance is you can learn exactly what the Buddha taught and that way you'll get more benefit out of your meditation itself. But then you will also get all this other information about the entire path. So you know how to practice the teachings in your daily life so that you're not just meditating and hoping everything goes well afterwards, but you're meditating as just one step of everything you're doing all day long as you're practicing the teachings. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, the kind of phone apps there and guided meditations. And for someone who's starting out, what's your, your thoughts on those um, as a as tool for people who are starting with meditation? If somebody has started with a phone app or a guided meditation, that's great that they have kind of a habit or a discipline of 
sitting down or standing or lying or walking meditation, the four positions, that they're actually have developed the self-discipline to actually meditate regularly. But those meditations aren't going to lead to enlightenment. They're not going to lead to this permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy because it's not training the mind in the way that it needs to be trained in order to reach this enlightened mental state. So at the end of the meditation, they might feel more peaceful, they might feel more calm, they might feel better, but because they haven't informed their life practice with the teachings of what goes along with meditation and everything else that they need to practice in daily life, they're only gonna feel peaceful and calm for a limited period of time just right after the meditation. It's gonna wear off pretty quickly because they're not practicing all the other teachings and the meditation that they're practicing isn't the style of meditation that's gonna actually transform the mind into this enlightened mental state. So if somebody is really interested in eliminating sadness, anger, frustration, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, resentment, jealousy, all of these things, then they really should be working with a teacher where they learn the teachings with a teacher and they have somebody to seek guidance with. So that's why I have online classes twice a week. I have a book, an audio book, podcast, videos, in-person classes, retreats. I also accept invitations to go places if people invite me to go. And then not only are they learning the real style of meditation taught by the Buddha, but they're getting all the teachings and resources they need to support this continuous growth and learning along the entire path throughout them learning and implementing these teachings. And the beauty is that they will see the results right away. I've taught classes and I've taught students where, you know, the first couple of hours or after one or two days of learning, they can see the effects right away. They can see the benefits and lasting benefits, real change in the condition of the mind. And this is where students know that it's not based on belief because they can see the impact to their life right away. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Uh, yes, so much for, for all of that kind of insight. And you, and again, you mentioned your, your book and your podcast and uh, right at the end, we'll give people uh, where they can find those so they can dive in a bit more. Uh, but I have some set questions. I ask everyone that comes on and I'd love to hear your, um, your thoughts on these. And the first sure. one, and yeah, this one is um, one of my buzzwords. I talk about a lot and you've mentioned uh, this word uh, quite a few times. So uh, my question is what brings you joy in your life? So in our practice, there's we don't look for things to bring us joy because that's seeking joy externally so the enlightened mind isn't going to have like my son brings me joy my wife brings me joy helping students bring me joy we don't have these kind of things because an enlightened mind is already joyful without any conditions mm -hmm. so i enjoy sharing these teachings with people but if I wasn't doing that, the mind would still be joyful, right? I enjoy spending time with my son, but when I'm not with my son, that's okay too. 
but my joyfulness isn't attached or based on spending time with my son. So when I'm not with my son, I don't miss him. I don't wish I was with him. I don't wonder what he's doing. I don't worry about him. I don't have all these fears of what might be happening to him. I just, okay, he's gone and he goes to school. And then when he comes back, okay, well, I've got some time. Let's spend time together. So there's, I find everything joyful in the world because my mind isn't holding on or looking for joy in any one particular thing. Amazing. I think you're the first person who's had that, that answer, that just being in that, that state of joy, just the, the natural state of the mind. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, when you remove all the conditions of looking for joy in any one particular thing, then the mind can be joyful with anything. Mm. Um, I'm interested in the, the next question, because again, this one quite often is attached to things for people. So it'd be interesting to see uh, your response to this one as well. And that's about what makes life meaningful for you. I think everything's meaningful, right? Part of this practice is bringing the mind into the present moment and being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in the present moment no matter what's happening, just being satisfied with what is. So every single interaction that I have, whether it's with someone like you who's interviewing for a podcast or whether it's a street vendor where I buy some food or whether it's a street sweeper who sweeps our village streets or whether it's going to a government facility and interacting with the government, I find meaning in all of these interactions and I just always smile and be pleasant and be kind and friendly. And I find meaning in every interaction and everything that I do. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, so my, my next two questions uh, around mental wellness and mental well-being, which is sort of the, the big overall uh, point of the podcast, I guess. So what does mental wellness mean to you? Mental wellness to me is a stable, steady mind because something, you know, we didn't really go into my real deep background of my past, but while I was in America, when I was in my early 20s, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and I had deep depression at different times in my life and panic disorders and they were even talking borderline schizophrenia at one time and all these different things. And for 24 years, I took medications and did all of those things and thought, well, I don't really believe that this is true, but I'll just do what they tell me because, you know, I was definitely at some points in my life having hallucinations and delusions and things like this. Well, after 24 years of going through the mental health industry, there was never a permanent solution and the mind kept having problems over and over again. It wasn't until I started spending time with Thai people that the mind became more peaceful, more calm, and then definitely living here in Thailand and absorbing these teachings through daily life and observations, the mind became very stable, very steady, unshakable, and very focused and concentrated with deep memory. And I was able to eliminate all that medication and no longer need to see doctors or therapists or any of that stuff. And what I realized is that the mind was actually causing itself to be unwell. And through training the mind, I was able to bring stability to the mind where before I didn't have any life practice. I didn't have a life practice. 
I was just taking medicine, expecting that to change the emotions, but that's not going to change the emotions. It changes brain chemistry, but it still isn't going to make you a friendly person. It's not going to make you a kind person or a polite person. So by having this life practice, I was able to develop a stable, steady, calm, peaceful mind that no longer has the ups and downs, the sadness, the anger, the frustration that I once experienced in my life. Brilliant. And, and my follow-up question, and we've, I'm, I'm sure we've talked a lot about throughout this, um, about some of the things you do under this bracket, but I always ask people as the follow-up, how they look after their own mental well-being. For me, it's meditation. It's uh just being in the present moment. Don't think about the past. Don't think about the future. Don't hold on to any thoughts or opinions or ideas or views. Don't try to be forceful. Don't have expectations of other people. Don't judge other people. Just let other people do whatever they feel comfortable with. Eliminate the ego. Um, just really focusing on just being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy through practicing being a good wholesome person not causing harm to other people brilliant thank you again we've, we've probably covered this this next one uh, a fair bit as well but uh, i ask guests when they come on to try and describe their own mindsets their own mindset how would you describe the word mindset like what's the definition of mindset again that's open to uh, individual interpretation but i guess i see it as sort of the Kind of attitude or outlook on life okay so i guess my outlook on life is that in the unenlightened mind life is very difficult and very challenging to deal with all the sad thoughts and the frustration the guilt the shame the fears the boredom the loneliness the shyness sure there's some happiness and excitement intermixed there but that's never permanent and that's kind of part of the problem with the unenlightened mind is it's chasing this happiness but it's impermanent it can't hold on to happiness and the mind expects to be happy all the time but it can't be and that's one of the reasons why it goes to sadness so learning to strip away all of this conditioning of the mind that we go through in our culture and in our daily life and kind of stripping all of this away and you get to this point where the mind is just peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. The mind never goes up and down or cycles. It just is always in the middle, very calm and content and very concentrated and focused. And I see that there's significant problems in the world everywhere you look. You know, you can see murders and rape and famine and poverty and wars and fear and you know, substance abuse and all kinds of problems in the world. And that's one of the reasons why I focus on sharing these teachings, because it's the only thing that can create essentially heaven on earth, right? Is that through everybody not harming each other and by everybody eliminating these discontent feelings of anger and sadness and guilt and shame by eliminating all that from the mind where everybody's mind is in this permanent mental state of peace, calm, serenity, and joy, then everyone can just be satisfied with what is without having expectations of everyone else to always be doing something for them and not being selfish. So 
the outlook on life is you know, we've all need to learn and practice these type of teachings so that we can all peacefully coexist with each other. And that's what I see here in Thailand is the people really have learned how to peacefully coexist with each other rather than always being hostile and aggressive with each other. Mm. It does sound very, yeah, idyllic, doesn't it? If, if we could get to that point where everyone had that, that same, uh, same outlook and, and same view. Uh, so, um, yeah, my, my next question, so we are all about sort of giving people practical ideas that they can sort of take away from listening to this and put in place and, and try out in their life. And I know we've already given people a lot of um, amazing uh, information, but do you have between one and three tips of things that you would recommend people put in place in their life, in their you know, daily practice or? Sure. The first one is to seek out a teacher to learn and practice these teachings so that you can receive guidance and you can learn the teachings and implement them in your daily life and see the results for yourself. As part of that is learning how to accept responsibility for your own feelings and your own emotions. If we blame everyone else, that they made me angry or that person made me frustrated, then we're blaming other people. So that means we're gonna go around and train 7.5 billion people in the world to do things our way. And good luck with that. That's gonna be a really hard thing to do. So if everyone else is the one who's making you angry, that means you're perfect and you just need to train everybody else. But if you reverse that and you accept self-responsibility for your own feelings and emotions, then what you can do is you realize you only need to train one person. You only need to train one mind and that's going to be challenging enough and that's your own mind. So by accepting responsibility for your own feelings and emotions, your own actions are creating certain results. Rather than blaming others, accept that responsibility, and then you essentially regain your control and your power because now you have the ability to make active decisions in your life to improve your life. But if it's everyone else's fault of why your life is not what you are thinking it should be, then you have no power to improve it. So by accepting responsibility for your own feelings and emotions, then you basically admit that, yeah, I can improve this. I can make this life better. I just need to have the teacher in order to share the wisdom of the good, wholesome teachings that through taking self-responsibility, I can improve my life. And then, of course, the third one is make sure you're meditating regularly as part of your life practice and then bring these teachings into your daily life that your life practice isn't just meditation, but it involves practicing in daily life. So just like you couldn't attain enlightenment with only meditation, you also can't attain enlightenment without meditation either. You need meditation in your life, but you also need the teachings that you can practice the teachings in daily life as well. And that's what will improve the wisdom that you have to make better and better decisions in your life. You'll make the decisions as the person, as the practitioner, but you kind of need the general guidance of the teachings in which to kind of frame up your life. That's why some people call Buddhist teachings a philosophy of a way to live life because the Buddha never says, well, if your boyfriend cheats on you, 
break up with them, right? It doesn't teach like that. He just gives you kind of like, if these things happen in your life, they're going to cause harm to other people. Therefore, harm comes to you. And it's up to you through that wisdom to make good, wise choices in your life practice. But you need that teacher to give you the wisdom in order to understand the teachings. You need self-responsibility in order to accept responsibility for your feelings and emotions that you can actually make better decisions to improve your life. And one of those better decisions is to do meditation regularly and implement the teachings in your daily life. Mm, brilliant. Thank you for sharing those. And uh, they're all fab, but in particular, the second one really struck me because my theme of the week across my social media has been about personal responsibility and uh, this importance of yeah taking responsibility for our thoughts for our actions and and not projecting that blame out or um giving that I, well i don't know whether control is the right word but that other people have such an impact on how we feel we're kind of giving them that power so that just really struck me that that was my sort of theme of the week and um yeah and that was one of them uh, thank you uh, yeah so much for for all the insight and, and everything that you've shared and i've i've got your book next to me i'm in your facebook group but for anyone else who really wants to find out more where can they find you online uh, if you can tell us about your podcast and all of that uh, great stuff that you've got going on sure the easiest place to find me is buddhadailywisdom.com that's the website and from there you can launch out into everything else so buddhadailywisdom.com but i do a lot of online teaching through facebook and youtube i also use zoom as well in our Facebook page is Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. So if you went to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Daily Wisdom 999, you would find our group. And of course, the YouTube page is, or YouTube channel is Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. And those are some of the methods that I communicate the most. And then our podcast, it's the same name, Daily wisdom and then space hyphen space walking the path with the buddha and i have books that are downloadable for free the podcast and youtube channels of course are free uh, i have an audiobook that's about to come out there are people who make donations to me in order to support my life but i have no expectations of that everything that i do is offered openly and freely to everybody. And if people choose to make donations, it's up to them to do that. And I don't ever ask for it or I don't expect it, but there's certainly people who do that as a way of supporting me and sharing these teachings with them in the entire world. So anybody who's welcome, or I should say everybody's welcome to come learn and practice the teachings and discover the truth for themselves. Brilliant. Thank you so much, David. I've, I've really enjoyed speaking with you and I feel very calm actually and more peaceful from having spent nearly an hour with you uh, talking about this and also that I need to uh, work on my own daily practice <laughs> a little bit. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for everything you've shared with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me on your show. Thank you. Thanks again to David. After saying at the beginning about trying to do shorter episodes, I realised that this is not particularly a short one, um, but I hope that you have enjoyed it. And we'll be back Wednesday for a, another full episode uh, for a second one of the week. Um, I just wanted to finish with a, a couple of little things. The first is just to say that in 
September, very excitingly, we are finally, after a lot of uh, logistical planning, uh, launching our group coaching program. So I've talked about before about doing a course, about uh, all those kind of things. And this is a 12-week group coaching program, which I feel is sort of the best way to deliver this. And it is called Reconnect With Yourself because that really is the core of what it's about. It's about reconnecting and rediscovering your essential self, if you like, trying to let go of all that expectation and that external noise and really tuning in to who you are, what you're all about um, and being okay with that. Because I know from my own personal experience and from a lot of conversations on the podcast that the kind of self-awareness and the relationship with ourselves are so important. And it's why I always talk about mental well-being, mental health and, and this aspect about our relationship with ourselves because I think they're all linked. I think if we feel not great about ourselves then we can struggle to really stick to the things that we want to do or go after the things that we want in life. And I think if you are having challenges with your mental health, then it makes it hard to do other things. So I think back to my teaching time and if I had uh, children, young people in my class who were stressed, tired, anxious, they couldn't concentrate on their education because there was so much other stuff going around in their mind that the learning wasn't going in and until we did something to try and think about and resolve or have some kind of plan or management or something for for the mental health aspect and what was going on they they really struggled to access the lessons and that's really stuck with me and one of the reasons I talk so much about mental well-being for everyone because I, I think it is a spectrum that you kind of have mentally healthy on one end if you like and kind of mental illness on the other and this is like a really you know just general spectrum <laughs> I'm not sort of classifying uh, mental illnesses as being more severe or less than others but just to have that idea of being like in peak mental health which to be honest I think is not really <laughs> achievable because so much can unsettle us we're tired if oh, we've had an argument with someone if we're just not feeling very confident for some reason if we're feeling a bit under the weather all those things can have an impact on how we're feeling about ourselves but that's that end where we're sort of we're resilient we are putting we're, we're doing things in our life that boost our well-being we're sort of in that kind of peak mental condition in the way that you might be if you were really looking after your physical health and I think that can be easier to understand if you think about if you're sleeping well, drinking enough water, exercising, eating healthy food, really nourishing your body so that you're sort of in that peak condition and think of the mental equivalent. And so there are things that we've talked about before that really help with that. So the connection, learning, sleep, just sleep, <laughs> sleep exercise, nutrition, I think are a big part of the mental piece as well. Um, and can be difficult if you have other struggles that are taking you towards the other end of the spectrum. So if you're worried about something, if you are lacking in self-confidence, I mean, I'm a comfort eater and a comfort spender and, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff, which has a has a negative impact. So you kind of do something like that to numb some some pain or something that you don't want to experience or some difficult feelings or for whatever reason. So you're trying to make yourself feel better sometimes by 
comfort eating, say. But it's this circle where you end up feeling worse and, you know. But why is my point going with this? <laughs> I lost my point. <laughs> but yeah, so if you are if you are struggling in any way in that, in that kind of mental uh, mental health arena, and it doesn't have to be a mental illness in you know in like one of the diagnosable mental illnesses of depression anxiety OCD schizophrenia etc it could just be that you're stressed or you're feeling overwhelmed um any of any of these things can make doing the other things we want to in life more challenging so in a not very succinct way of saying it that is kind of the point of this 12-week course to help you to manage all of that so that you are you have those things in place to help you look after your well-being and it's not saying that it's all going to be perfect but it's having those tools to be able to bounce back and be able to handle things it is about connecting with yourself and letting go of that external noise and feeling better about yourself and being able to go after the things that you want uh, so yeah, 12 weeks, uh, group coaching each week, a couple of one-to-one coaching calls with me and a workbook uh, that kind of guides you through this 12-week process. Uh, so we're launching the 1st of September. So if you head over to our website, www.psyche.co.uk, you can find out more information. And right at the beginning, I mentioned our monthly wellbeing roundup. You can sign up to our newsletter there as well. Uh, so yeah, please do those. And I'll be back on Wednesday for another episode. I'll try not to talk so much. (laughs) But I feel like, yeah, we've talked a bit about mental well-being today, which is always uh, so important. My dog's starting to bark in the background, so that's probably a cue to go. So (laughs) I will speak to you Wednesday and have a good couple of days. And take care of yourself. Bye. Bye.